Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. That second show of the week, actually, we did a Yankees pre-episode earlier this week with Dan Federico. He was a little bonus episode because the New York Islanders have moved on to the Stanley Cup semifinals. We're taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning starting soon. We have not gotten the exact time on game one yet. I'm actually going to check on that as we're recording right now. But he's joined in just a minute by a good friend of mine, Christopher Russo, not the Mad Dog. He's another podcast on the sport. He now has his own podcast talking all sorts of sports, sports in the waiting room. We're going to talk. Islanders Lightning, get you ready for that series. First ever Islander podcast on the Just Undiscovering podcast. See how this goes. We're going to do all of that in just a bit. We're going to talk now about also the end of the show. We're going to talk to Sandra Rose, our pop culture correspondent, about Loki. Vermeer came out on Wednesday. This is in your feed on Friday. So we broke down the premiere of Loki on Wednesday night, the day it aired. So fresh hot takes there. That's coming up at the end of the podcast. But we'll get us started with this week's opening tip, the second one of the week. I have to talk about what's going on with the sticky stuff in baseball. It makes no sense. I'm going to get into it right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. <laughs> All right, opening tip time, diving into the world of baseball. And one thing I feel like is noticeable in the league this season, the lack of offense. Strikeouts are up. We are still one no-hit away from the record for the season. It's only June. The offense is down. Home runs are down. Strikeouts way up. Less hitting in general. Not great. I talked about this in the podcast a couple weeks ago with Anthony McCarron, Russ NY. Got some potential solutions, such as, you know, I my personal thing is, you know, I want to live the size of the pitching staff. Anthony wants the hitters to evolve and, you know, actually try and go the other way as opposed to just trying to s- slam the ball through over the shift. You name it a lot of ways. Major League Baseball, in their infinite wisdom, has decided that the problem is that the pitchers are using too many foreign substances on the ball to increase their spin rate and make the pitches really hard to hit. Right now, the league is studying the balls from this season to crack down these foreign substances. Something has led to a radical witch hunt as players accuse other players of cheating. Trevor Bauer, we know he's always on top of this. He's always trying to call out people who thinks are screwing the game over. He's calling out for years. The big bomb this week came from Josh Donaldson. Basically accused Yankee Jake Garrett Cole of doctoring the baseball. It's again a big topic because the week before against Tampa Bay, Cole had his worst star of the season. His spin rate. Um, a lot of pitchers noticeably down several hundred RPM. And it coincided with the morning of four minor leaguers getting suspended for using too many legal substances on the baseball. Of course, that was a big topic of discussion. He had a press conference on Tuesday about it. And let's take a listen to how that went for Mr. Cole. And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. That was one interesting answer out of, out of him. That's the full answer. But I want to draw your attention to the beginning of that again. We'll start from Ken Dayoff's question again about the spider attack. And let's take a listen on how he handles the start of this. And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, That's a horrendous job by Yankee PR. Your job there is to prep Gary Cole for a question they knew was coming. Whether it was from Ken Davidoff, somebody else in the beat, whether it's, you know, could have been Christy Ackert, could have been Brian Hoke, could have been a lot of people. Somebody was going to ask that question. The fact that he's stuttering, pausing for 12 seconds, I don't know how to answer the question. That's a yes or no question. You, he basically admitted he's using some stuff. And you know what? That's not as big a deal in my personal opinion, but you have to have a better answer than that. You can't be sitting there stammering going, uh, I have 12 seconds of dead air and say, I don't know how to answer the question. And then the full response is basically just going, you know, just sort of stream of thought of like, well, it's been taught to us from older players and stuff about the league and blah, blah, blah. And he's just basically filibustering, just trying to, get to the end of an answer, it kind of makes some sort of sense, and he ends up getting nothing. He fell flat. But that's a Yankee PR issue. I'm not bothered by this because this is an issue the league has brought onto itself. This is something that the league has let get out of control because they're all about this quest for efficiency and spin rate and velocity and if you want a job, you have to be able to do these things. So if putting sticky stuff on the baseball helps you get the spin rate to stay in the league, get the big contract, you're going to do it. The whole thing right now that the league making such a big deal about this, this feels like spin out of MLB to blame the players for the lack of offense problem. So they're trying to basically pass the box and say, hey, it's not our fault. The players are cheating. Friends of the podcast, Joe Sheehan, put this alchemy on Twitter back on May 1st when he said, quote, thesis, MLB is fine with the focus on sticky stuff because it distracts from how they put a ball in play that spins like a top and flies like a brick. It makes the players the bad actors when in fact the league screwed up. And you know what? He's right. 
How is this any different from when baseball ignored all the steroid use until they got dragged from the Congress? At that point, it was the players are cheaters. They are being bad role models to our children. How could they do this? They have soiled the great name of the game. The league tolerated this. They let the ratings go bananas on the home run chases and everybody was juiced out of their minds. But the players, the bad guys, for exploiting a rule that was not being enforced. That narrative has worked for the league. Just look at the Hall of Fame vote the last few years. There are reasons that Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Roger Clemens are not in the Hall of Fame. Any particular reason? It's all about the steroids and the narrative that the league is sold and it's been bought hook, line, and sinker. And right now, the effort seems to be okay. The players are doctoring the baseball. That's why nobody can hit it. Trust me, the players are well aware of the fact that being scapegoated. If you do not believe me, ask Pete Alonso. He was asked about this prior to Wednesday against the Baltimore Orioles, and he had some interesting responses. Let's hear what he had to say. Hey, Pete, I'm wondering if you think MLB is doing the right thing by cracking down on pitchers with uh, sticky stuff, and if so, why? Oh, absolutely not. I think that um, I, I don't think so, because for me, I think that every since the start of the game, pitchers have been using uh, substances. I mean, there's a bag of rosin behind the mound right now to help guys dry their hands and get grip. Uh, for me, I think whether they're using pine tar, rosin, uh, bullfrog or sunscreen and rosin or whatever they want to use to help control the ball, let them use it, because for me, it's. I, I go in the box every single day and I see guys throwing harder and harder every day. And I don't want to, I don't want 99 slipping out of someone's hand because they didn't have enough feel for it. I think that the, the biggest concern is that uh, major league baseball manipulates the baseballs year in and year out, depending on the free agency class or guys being in an advanced uh, part of their arbitration. So I do think that's a big issue. Okay. First of all, it makes sense because obviously He's standing in the batter's box. He sees these guys throw hard. And he saw what happened when Kevin Pillar got hit in the face with a fastball that got away. If he feels comfortable that, you know, they're using the grip to get better control of the ball, all power to him. But the end of that, that's fascinating. That he feels that the league is doctoring the ball to impact salaries, basically what he's saying. Is that the league is manipulating the baseball. And remember, they bought Rollins a couple of years ago, so they do control the baseball he's saying that they are manipulating the ball based on who the free agent class is so let's hear some more from pete on that situation because he had more to say about this i hadn't heard until you mentioned it the idea that they do it based on free agent class is, is that something that players talk about and and believe in oh no that's that's a fact it's not it's it's yes we i mean guys have talked about it but um, I mean, in 2019, there's, uh, there's a huge class of free agent pitchers. Uh, and then that's, quote unquote, the juice balls. And then uh, 2020 was a strange year with the COVID, uh, the COVID season. But now that we're back to playing a regular season with uh, a ton of shortstops or position players uh, that are going to be that are owed, going to be paid a lot of money, like high, high caliber players. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a coincidence. And I, I think that if, yeah, I, I, that's definitely, it definitely is something that they do. 
That is fascinating for him to say that publicly and admit that. He did not say, you know, we talk about this. This is something that's going on in the locker room. Guys are talking about it. He said, no, this is a fact. We know this is going on. And this is a absolutely horrible sign for labor relations when we have a CBA expiring at the end of the year. Now, do I think that the league is intentionally doctoring up all the pride players and money? I say no, based on a great argument, Ron Darling, man, that's why. This is the same league that has no idea how to administer instant replay or solve the pace of play issues where we're doing the good mix at the carnival game at the end of the game to try and get the extra innings resolved early or the seven-inning doubleheaders. Like, it seems highly unlikely that they have gone to this lengths to doctor the balls based on which free agent class coming, like making it livelier so pitchers have worse stats or debtors or the hitters have worse stats. It seems highly unlikely that they sophisticatedly have this system going on where they change the ball year after year after year based on who's a free agent, who can get paid. The problem here, and this is a major problem, I'm sure a lot of players are feeling this way. Peach is the first one to say it publicly. Let's put it this way. The players either think, A, the ball is being doctored 100% in order to deprive them of their money, or B, that the league is using the foreign substances topic as if you try and break the union ahead of a negotiation by saying, the pitchers are here, the hitters are here, let's pit them against each other so they can't fight us as a unified force. If the players feel that way, this is going to be a major fight when the CBA expires in December. And we've heard the rumblings going on about, oh, there's a lot of bad blood, the worst they've been in 25 years, labor relations. We've had uninterrupted later pieces of 94 strike. That's coming to an end. If this is the attitude that P. Alonzo has and it's a prevailing one in the PA, we're in for a long works, obviously, because he's always not going to budge. The players feel wrong, like wrong. They're going to get budged. And now this toothpaste from Alonzo's out of the tube. It's going to be very, very hard to put it back in. Because this is going to be a rallying cry for a lot of the players. Say, you know, we're being scapegoated for the league's failures. The league is trying to screw us out of money. You're in for a long labor fight. It's not going to end very well. This is a story we will definitely monitoring going forward. But up next, we're joined by Christopher Russo. Talking Islanders Lightning right after this call from the Islanders Game 6 win over the Boston Bruins, courtesy of NBC Sports. Islanders won that series in six games right here at Nassau Coliseum, the final season of NHL hockey. The Islanders get a new building next year out in front. They score! Brock Nelson on the spot again, and the Islanders have a 3-1 lead. They get in quickly. This is just a misplay by the Bruins. Bailey's there, get it, gets it in front. Brock Nelson there to finish. That's yeah, a tough handle by Tuka Rask into the feet of Riley, and there's Brock Nelson, Johnny on the spot, off the Bailey feed. Hockey sense awareness, present the target, put it to the back of the net. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking hockey. New York Islanders are in the conference final round, we're equivalent of because of this weird COVID structure we have. Second year in a row. Joining today, talk some hockey. Not the usual guy you hear, Pete Consoy, but a good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before talking NFL picks. He's hosted his own podcast, uh, Sports in the Waiting Room podcast. Uh, Christopher Russo, not the Mad Dog, is here. Chris, how are you? 
Hey, Mike, I'm doing all right. Thank you. And it's the Stanley Cup semifinal. So it's like the, fir- the first time we really heard that probably since like 70s or 80s, I would say, when it was just like 12 random teams getting in. Yeah, because I was so confused about the call because I'm like, yeah, this is technically what the conference finals would be in a normal year. But because he had these four random divisions, just the semifinals. Yeah, it's just the Stanley Cup semifinals. That's what it is. Yeah, I will say, like, I've been following the playoffs, like, on and off, because I was, I'm was i a Ranger guy, you know that, and at this point, they're not there. I think it's it's been interesting so far. Yeah, the playoffs have been good. Rangers, well, look, I don't know. I mean, despite the managerial turnover, they sh- they have the talent that they should be there soon, and I think they have the heart that they should be there soon. What I've seen from the playoffs so far, I think generally speaking – uh, first off, good amount of surprises, most notably Montreal. I don't think anyone, including myself, including I bet you, saw Montreal going as far as they did or still being in it. Lots of overtimes early on in the postseason, which made it really exciting. The w- one thing I really didn't get was a lot of goalie platooning for, like, no reason. So uh, in part- the Islanders was, were one of them because Sorokin, I thought, was clearly the better goaltender in the Pittsburgh series, and I think he was the goaltender for all the winning games, and Varlamov was the one for the losing games. Obviously, it worked out for the Boston series because Varlamov was the guy, especially in Game 5 when he made like 40 saves. And then Flurry and Leonard, the same thing, where, where Leonard started the first game of this series. Obviously, that's working out for them so far because they're up 3-2 going into tonight, at least, as we record this. And just a questionable discipline. You mentioned the Rangers. I I tried to uh, try to keep everything uh, fair, and uh, but the um, I remember talking about that on my podcast. The truth: so many people screwed up. Uh, just the league, the Rangers with the whole management thing. But the uh, obviously there was a Tom Wilson. Oh yeah, the that, league screwed up. That was yeah. such a mess. Yeah, the league screwed up with that. The officials screwed up with that. The managerial decisions screwed up. Everybody screwed up with that. And Buchnevich with a cross check, even though, I mean, I understand why he, why he was frustrated, that whole thing. Uh, but I think the discipline has been a little bit questionable in this postseason. Uh, not the fact that Shifley got suspended, but the fact that Ryan Reeves put, put I, I talked about this one too, Ryan Reeves put the weight of his leg on, on Samuel Graves' head, and he got two games, and Shifley got four for trying to make a, a fair play. Um, and then Kadri, look, Kadri's not exactly a clean player, but that he got eight for for that particular hit. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird. It's weird. I don't kind of inconsistent with the NHL though. You feel like with the officiating and the uh, discipline, it's also like times to just take a dart throw a dart and wherever it lands, that's the penalty. Yeah, and usually it's pretty good. I yeah. mean, I, I there's maybe like one referee with whom I have consistent complaints, but God, I love Wes McCauley so much. Yeah. Everyone should love Wes McCauley. No goal! That, that man is a treasure. Uh, and, and I think the league is very transparent about uh, – they always have the videos out for explaining the suspension. They're always very transparent about it. But I, there have been a few decisions – and it's not just this year, but there have been a few decisions where it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think the other thing that doesn't make sense before we get to the Islanders is what the hell happened to Toronto in that Montreal series because they find way after way after way just choke in the playoffs big time. It's just amazing how this franchise can knock it out of the first round to save their lives. You know you know what the crazy thing is? I, well, first off, a lot of people don't realize Toronto now ties the Rangers for the longest drought between Stanley Cups in terms of not years, but seasons. Yeah. Now, they have a, now they're going to have a longer drought in terms of years than the Rangers do when you include that strike year. So it's it's really unbelievable to think. And when you think New York sports media is tough, 
for hockey, Toronto is the toughest uh, sports media outlet. I, they, and, you know, I mean, Tavares getting hurt really didn't help them, but they had a 3-1 lead in this series, and they were by far a better team than Montreal. They're, they're such a better skilled team than Montreal. I, I think it's a little different when you don't have Mike Babcock behind the bench, even though, you know, obviously he was fired, but, you know, Sheldon Keefe is not exactly – Barry Trotz or well, not Scotty Bowman or anybody, but I, they, they really screwed. And the thing is, as opposed to when they blew that four, one lead against the Bruins in game seven, a few years ago, or when they lost to the Bruins in game seven, a couple of years ago, or when they lost that series to the caps in six, at least they were facing a team that was actually better than them. Yes. This year they faced a team that don't get me wrong. They've, they've had a good defensive structure. Carrie price carried them on the back. But Toronto is far and away, even without John Tavares, more skilled than Montreal is. And th- this might be the most disappointing loss they've had since, oh, God, I don't know. Probably that 4-1 maybe game. That, what? Probably the 4-1 game would be my guess. The 4-1 one, the the game, or maybe you can argue the um, Gretzky not getting halt, called for the high stick in 93 on, yeah. on Doug Gilmore in the conference final. Yeah. Yeah. All I know is it's pretty crazy if you think about it. Because like you said at the media, fair point. Because like for the New York sports fans, picture it this way. They, they know the Yankees' early history. Imagine they had not won a World Series since 1960. The heat they'd be under in this market. That's what Toronto is facing right now. But the crazy thing about all that is people don't realize if you're a younger hockey fan or you're not as experienced a hockey fan, the Leafs have the second most Stanley Cup titles of any team. And that's how good. I think by the time they won their last title, they were only behind Montreal by one. I think yeah. it was 14 to 13 Montreal. But since then... Well, really, from like 67 through 93, which is when Montreal last one, it was just a Montreal onslaught. And then, you know, Detroit got a lot better in a lot of these teams. But uh, Toronto's the second best team in the history of the NHL. Yeah, it's really bizarre seeing what happened with them. But let's talk about the Islanders here. And I mean, they've had a, obviously, they got the brutal division. They had to get through the Pittsburgh Penguins the first round, Boston the second round. So that Boston series is impressive. They get the wild win game five, game six, they win at the Coliseum, and it's a wild scene there. They're now going back to the semifinal round here. So what was your big takeaways for how they won this series? Yeah. Well, first off, you know this is this, this is the toughest division because the Rangers were fifth, and they had a better record than Montreal. Yes. And so, yeah, in a normal year, they'd be in. The Isles topping the Bruins, uh, first off, the three and four, that's how you know how strong this division is. Isles won this by strong defense. I, I can't remember what I was doing, but I was – I was out somewhere uh, the night of game one and I came back to my house and my, my family says, Oh yeah. Pelican and uh, the, the Bruins were beating up on Pelican Pollock, and which is kind of tough to differentiate those two when you're trying to yeah. say it, but the really the Isles turned the tables on the Bruins in this series. Pelican Pollock were stars. Pierre McGuire mentioned it. They really did a great job of, like for the most part, shutting down the top line and being really physical with these guys and with the Bruins' defense. You know, we saw that with Palmieri and Kyle Backavoy. I didn't think that was a clean. I mean, that was an elbow. Clearly, and I was disappointed that there wasn't a call there. But that whole thing with Palmieri and McAvoy that were getting in their heads. So physicality, Pelican Pollock, and then on top of that, the physicality of that fourth line, one of the best fourth lines in the NHL, in Matt Martin, Boomer's son-in-law. Sazikis and Clutterbuck. They they were really dominant. And I, I think as great, even though Matt Barzal is probably the most skilled player on that team, I think Brock Nelson had the best series of anyone. 
Yeah, Brock Nelson had a huge year. I don't think Kyle Palmieri, like, coming over from the Devils of the Deadlines, also a massive pick of them. He had a huge series, too. Oh, yeah. I said earlier, that I said earlier this year, they pretty much, they stole that trade. Yeah. Uh, Lula, Lula Amarillo fleeced his old team when they got Zajac and Palmieri. And then, of course, last year when they got Andy Green, I, I was, you know, uh, wondering what was happening. It was funny to think I was watching Taylor Hall going to shake hands with, I mean, he wasn't in New Jersey for that long, but it was enough to win an MVP. And watching him shake hands with, with Palmieri and Zajac and Green as he, or, uh, or I don't know if he might have been there when Green was. But just it was just weird to think. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a stat on Twitter about this that, that the Palmieri Zajac duo had about like has like seven combined playoff goals, and and Taylor Hall had two for the Bruins. And that's it's funny to think of how that worked out in terms of the trades. Oh yeah, and that's through that's through two rounds too. Yeah. That's through two full rounds. That and Palmieri Palmieri's fairly good scorer, but Zajac is especially since he's a little older, he's more of a defensive scorer. But Palmieri was one of the most one of the most clutch goal scorers for the Isles in the first two rounds, especially that goal in game one against, I think it was against Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah for sure. And they're going to play the Lightning next round. The Lightning closed out Carolina, who I was very high on going into the playoffs, but obviously they fell short against the strong Lightning team. What have you seen out of Tampa so far? That was in a tough, they had a tougher draw of Florida in the first round than they did in the Carolina here. Yeah, I thought that Florida series, I, I took Florida to, go, uh, to take it in seven because I thought Florida was, finally ready to make that leap, but unfortunately, especially with Joel Quenville behind the bench. But unfortunately for them, they weren't able to do it. You know, with Tampa, Carolina to an extent kind of lost this series as much as Tampa won it because I said Alex Nedeljkovic, I think, gave up a couple of really bad goals. That first goal in game one by Barclay Goodrow that that iced it, and then the icer by Colton in game five. I thought that was the kind of the big difference. But I think the most important thing for Tampa was just not making a lot of mistakes, letting other teams make, letting Carolina make mistakes. And on top of that, just the reemergence of Braden Point, who I thought should have won the Conn Smythe Trophy last year, because as good as Victor Hedman was and has been for that organization, Braden Point scored so many clutch goals in crunch time for that team that I think he's been the most important guy for that organization in their Stanley Cup, run, Stanley Cup run, winning last year and then making a run this year. Not Kucherov, not, of course, Stamkos with his injuries, not Hedman. I think Braden points the guy. Yeah, it's fascinating watching them because this is basically pretty much the exact same team they brought back from last year, this year. It's like sort of similar to what hap- what's happening with the Chief, with the Buccaneers in the NFL where they bring back basically everybody from the Super Bowl run. This is same city, same kind of deal. So it's interesting to see, like, sometimes those teams, especially last year they were in the bubble, short and off season. Main motivation is not there. This team seems to still have it all like locked in focus at this point. Well, that's how they're trying. They're trying to prove that it's it's not a fluke. I think yeah. because they won the Stanley Cup last year in a bubble. You could say, uh, the, you know, no fans there, different rest. You're on a different playing field, which in some cases makes it more impressive. But um, I actually think I think I had this later in my notes, but I was going to bring up that the Lightning really are going to have to prove themselves in the next one, if not the next two rounds, because last year they went through Dallas and Dallas, like the Rangers in a normal year would have made the playoffs because they had a better record than Montreal. But uh, Dallas, again, missed the playoffs this year after reaching the final. And a lot of people thought either Colorado or Vegas would reach the final. So now that it's probably going to be one of those two, you never know about Montreal. Tampa is really going to have to try to prove that it's not a fluke. I think they have more pressure on them than anyone. Yeah, I think it's also fascinating because obviously last year they beat the Islanders in this round on the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and it's the Eastern Conference Finals at that point. And it's cause thanks to the weird nature of the COVID year with the divisions not playing each other. I can't think of another time in sports where we had like these teams meet in the playoffs, then don't meet again 
until the exact same spot in the playoffs, especially in hockey. It's very rare. It's we. It's really yeah. It's especially weird to think this year, but I mean, with them staying with the, that divisional format, the funny thing is, Lightning are actually three and zero all time against the against the Islanders in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and two of those times they went on to win the Stanley Cup. Yes. So the yeah. So I I think the other one was sixteen was the third one. I believe. Was it 16? Yes. I was going to say maybe it was 15 when they went to the final, but no, okay, it was 16. So I think they lost to Pittsburgh in the conference final that yeah. year. Uh, but the, the Lightning make a deep run at pretty much every time they face the Islanders. So I think the the Lightning are more skilled. They have more of a championship pedigree, but I think the Islanders have a better structure. They have a much better defensive structure. That's really that's what they've had for a long time. And I think part of that is Lou Lamarillo is doing what he did in New Jersey, where he built that team to play well from in front and really play a strong defensive structure. And on top of that, you know, John Cooper is obviously a great coach. They won the Stanley Cup last year. Barry Trotz is one of the greatest coaches ever, and he's one of the the winningest coaches ever. I think they have the edge in coaching as well. Yeah, I also think it's interesting this year because I obviously the Tampa we talked about they stayed the same. Like, what do you think has changed with the Islanders from this from last series to this series in terms of the Tampa series matchups? In terms of the roster, not really. I mean, in terms of the roster, really, it's just that they added Palmieri and Zajac, and they added two guys that, I mean, Palmieri doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, but Zajac, even though he's never won the cup, was with the Devil team that went to the finals back in 2012. Uh, as for, I think the biggest difference is having fans back, because, and especially having fans at the level that they've had. Not to mention, they're going to close Nassau Coliseum after this year. And, you know, they always called it the, the barn and Fort Never Lose. That place is raucous. I mean, did you hear them before that for the anthem the other night? I, I tweeted out, I said that I'm, I'm not sure if the Islanders are going to win because the crowd went like full Chicago Blackhawks during the anthem where everybody sings it or lose because they were off key. But uh, <laughs> they, yeah, but they, I mean, they, that, that crowd is wild. It's one of the best crowds in hockey, and I think home ice is going to make a huge difference. And, of course, New York, or Long Island, really, I should specify, is more of a traditional hockey setting, a traditional hockey fan base, but Tampa has grown so exponentially anyway that home ice is going to be huge in this series for both teams. Yeah, I think it, you, you hit it right on with the fans being there this year because last year, it's like, okay, this is what the teams are. There's no outside distractions. Like, it's just you're playing on there. There's some piped-in noise. Not a big deal. But now these teams are going on the road. They have, like, wow buildings, rate, raucous fans. It's all going to be a true hockey playoff atmosphere. So this is really a true test of, like, okay, like, especially that you saw how Nassau gets and the Bruins were clearly bothered by their games in Nassau as we saw it throughout this series. And I think – the Lightning gains this experience. I mean, going through Florida and Carolina is not the same as playing in Nassau. No, absolutely not. And it's fun. Once the Islanders won game five in Pittsburgh, I figured, oh, there's no way they're going back. Yeah. They, they, because I, they're t- I think Boston, obviously Pittsburgh's won more in recent years, but Boston's the tougher team, I think, for sure. So I figured the I could see, especially after the Bruins fought back from down 5-2 to, to force 5-4 in a game you could argue they should have won because they outshot the Islanders by like 25 in game five. I figured, okay, I, I could see them coming back and forcing game seven, in which case you know, there's no doubt Bruins would have won that one. But the, yeah, the Islanders, that, that fan base was intense. I think that part of that is the angst of people coming back. I think you saw that at MSG with the Knicks. And I think 
on uh, on top of that, it's that they're closing down this building and they're going to be moving. I think it's like seven miles west to yeah. Elmont. So it's it was an intent, but it's funny to think you go last year. Okay, last year we're going to be playing in Canada with nobody in the building except for us, some uh, doctors and some security guards. And this year you've got. You've got the number two overall pick in the NFL draft coming for the Jets, and you're going to have his offensive linemen crushing beers on their heads. So that's uh, it. It's a complete turnaround. It also shows how we are in a great place from last year. Oh yeah, this. If you told me last year that we're going to have the playoffs, we're going to have fans in the buildings, there's not going to be many masks because everybody's getting vaccines. I would have said you're crazy. So good job by us as a country oh, to get yeah. there. We still have work to do, but we've made a lot of progress. Certainly, yeah. I, t- I talk about that. Uh, I talk a little bit about that on a weekly. Well, I mean, that's the, the podcast. I, of course, I said you know, sports in the waiting room, which is going to be weird. I can't really change the name, but it's going to be weird to keep that after everything gets back to normal. Uh, but yeah, I talk a little bit about the the vaccine. I talked about the whole John Rahm thing, yeah, um, and him testing positive. So that's sorry, shameless plug. I didn't mean to I, really get into that, but it was I, a good transition, I guess. No, no worries, man. I mean, like my name is like I don't know, like my team, my name works because my team's all stank and they all lose most of the time. But like the second one, my team's win. I don't know what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do if I'm gonna change it, if I'm gonna keep it because usually, like I have the Mets, Jets, and Knicks, and they're all pretty terrible. So the second one of them wins, that's when it gets out of date a little bit. Yeah, but you know what the funny thing is. You got all of those, but all of those teams, like in the last two years, complete culture change. Knicks yes. brought in Tibbs and and Rose and West and Leon Rose. Let me specify, yeah. and then D Rose, and then you know Jets brought in Salah. Douglas was the preliminary, and then Salah, and now Mets have legit actual ownership that will yes. get you know have their money taken from them at Bernie Mayo. So, yeah, that's certainly true. And let's get back to the Islanders for a minute. So, like, yeah, what's our Create the Chris Russo keys to victory for the Islanders in this series. Well, the Chris Russo keys to victory. That's my bad, Johnny yeah. Carson. The, I would say they stick to their defensive structure and there's defensive identity that good you know, kind of neutral zone trap, as I mentioned about the, the everything with the devils and Lou Lamarillo and their physicality. I would also say consistent goaltending because obviously I think Sorokin was the better goaltender in the first round. They opted to go to Varlamov in the second and I think sticking with him, or, or or if not just having Sorokin ready, I, I think is going to be very important. Their their goaltending is going to be key. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be hard to try and go one A one B at the Lightning because they're too good to like take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And let's go real quick. I mean, obviously in the other series out west, Montreal is through. As we're recording, Vegas and. Colorado, the puck basically just dropped for that game. So right now Vegas at 3-2 in the series here. Whoever gets through that, like, do you think Montreal's a shot here or do you think it's going to be a steamroll for whoever wins that game, wins that series? If they, I mean, if they knocked out Toronto, I would think they have some sort of shot. I can't, ima- I, I don't think they're going to win this series, but I also couldn't have possibly met. I honestly think that the Leafs beat themselves more in that series than, than Montreal beat them. The Winnipeg series was a clean sweep, and I think part of that was, you know, Shifley uh, getting suspended early on. But yeah, they, they got a shot against whoever wins. I think more likely if if Vegas wins, because I, th- I think Colorado's the stronger team. I think Nathan McKinnon is probably the strongest player in the NHL. But yeah, they can give him a shot. He, look, hey, I, I that was another one I said on the podcast this past week that people forget that as great uh, an organization Montreal's had, you know, they've had. Jean Beliveau and the Richard brothers and Lafleur and all those guys. 
as great a, a and plant Dryden, I named like like fifteen <laughs> guys that are remarkable Hall of Fame players with Montreal. The the, the Yankees of hockey are close at least. But for as many guys as they had and as dominant they were through like the late seventies, the last two times they won the cup in eighty six and ninety three after seventy nine. They weren't that great. It was just Patrick Waugh carrying them, yeah. which is pretty much what Carey Price is doing right now. So, uh, yeah, you got you run a hot goaltender. Yeah, absolutely, you can win. Yeah, I think like obviously I picked Vegas preseason to be to win the cup this year. So I'm hoping that comes through. I'm not going to mention how the other team was because that's completely useless at this point. So I'm going to say, say Toronto. No, I did not say Toronto. It's somebody that not even make the field. Okay, so. I'm gonna put that, leave that out there. People can go back to the archive, look that up. They want to see who I actually picked to make the final against against Vegas. But assuming one of these teams get through Vegas, Colorado here, like, and they play the let's say the Islanders and they get to the final against the either the Islanders or Tampa, like, does whoever gets out of the series have a good shot here? Is it still like whoever wins that Vegas, Colorado series is the team to beat in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think. It, yeah, I I think whoever wins that series. Really, whoever wins that series might have been the team to beat once the playoffs started. Yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I would definitely say that, and that's, and, and you know, you know, that's saying something when Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup last year. Yeah, but I, I would say that Colorado or Vegas would be the team to beat, even though Vegas is only four years old. They are, you can still say they're due. Colorado, it looks like it looked like last year maybe they had hit their stride and then they lost to Dallas and sort of Vegas. And this might be the time where they actually reach their peak and try to win maybe multiple times. Uh, so, I, yeah, I would say Colorado or Vegas are the favorite, but I, any, really anybody could, could still win this thing. I feel like there's a lot of heat on Vegas right now to win because I feel like they've come so close these past couple of years. They, I feel like if they don't win this year, especially if they can manage to close it out tonight in game six at home, if they can't get this one, I feel like there might be a lot of pressure to try and change things up in that organization and try and make a different approach with winning the cup. Yeah, you know, well, I always talk about Marc Andre Fleury defines age, defies yeah. age. So I don't, and he is, I think, by far the most important aspect of their franchise within the last four years since they started. Obviously, he was their first pick. And it's funny to think because, you know, around here, people, you know, people look at Henrik Lundqvist and think, what, like Henrik Lundqvist, to be, the Penguins, the Penguins had a stronger team, but Henrik Lundqvist might have been a stronger goaltender. But Marc Andre Fleury, who got, who, like started playing like two years before Lundqvist did is somehow still going at a very, very high level. So it's remarkable. He got, I think he just got named a finalist for the Vezina. Yeah. And I, I think it's fair to say if they win the cup, he'll, he could be the Conn Smythe trophy winner, but uh, it's really remarkable that run. And, and, but the fact he's gotten that old, they really might break down if, if they are not able to win this year, the pressure should be on them. And the fact that, they missed out on a golden opportunity with the president's trophy head to head against Colorado earlier this year. And now that they've regained home ice after winning three straight. Yeah. If, if they do not win this game tonight, then the pressure, then everything swings back to Colorado for sure. Yeah, for sure. And last thing before we go gut time here, who wins the Islander series? How many games? Oh, shoot. Okay. This is tough. Believe it or not. I actually had Colorado beating Toronto in the final. Um, uh, when the playoffs started, I didn't yes. make a preseason pick. Um, so when you did the bracket, you had boy. it Colorado, Toronto. Yeah, I did. I did a Stanley Cup bracket on the NHL website. I had Colorado and Toronto. I had the Islanders getting out of this division, but I had them getting knocked out by Toronto. I think. I think by Toronto. Yeah, I had Colorado, the Islanders, Toronto, and Carolina. 
Oh boy, this is tough. I think just I'm going lightning in seven. That seems like a- I think my gut's kind of t- yeah. That seems fair. I think my gut. Yeah, I think my gut's kind of telling me the Islanders, but I think the the fact that Tampa's a more skilled team, they won the cup last year, they're really out to prove something, and and most importantly, they have home ice. I I I will take Tampa. I think seven games. I think you're right there. I think if the Islanders win this year, it's got to be in six. I don't think they're going down to Tampa winning game seven. Oh yeah, it's going to have to be the same thing. Yeah, you, you have to finish this thing in six games. I. It's it's very tough to win a game seven in Tampa. Hey, they proved that a few years ago. Well, the the first time they won the Stanley Cup, I think they won the conference final and the cup final in a seventh game at home. Yeah, well, there you have it, Chris. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow on social media to keep up with your podcast. Yeah, uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Russo 98, C-H-R-I-S-R-U-S-S-O 98. And then it, you can honestly just Google or Bing or does Ask Jeeves still exist? Uh, the the podcast is called Sports in the Waiting Room, and you can find us on let's see Apple Podcast. I can't believe I'm actually running that. I have a podcast on Apple Podcasts, on I think Spotify. You can find I think Google Podcasts. You can find it all over the place. But if you just Google it, you can find it. We're up to I can't believe 31 episodes already. Yeah, it's pretty. It's crazy how time flies. You're having fun with these things. Yeah, it's insane. When we've been locked down too, it's insane to, to think all that time has passed. But yeah, I've I've been I've very much enjoyed it. Chris, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey Mike, thanks for having me, man. We are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, diving back into the MCU, talking to the premiere of Loki on the podcast. Joining me today, our pop culture correspondent and one of the self-proclaimed biggest Loki fans in the world, Sam Rose is here. Sam, how are you? Good. How are you? I feel like I'm going to cause a, cause a scene if you call me one of the biggest Loki fans ever. I feel like people are going to come after me now. Again, I think we're in a safe spot here. I don't think this audience is big enough yet to come after you. So I think you're Who good. knows? We don't know who's listening. Yeah, maybe well about like a year from now, if this thing blows up, you'll get start getting added to it on Twitter with all the mentions. <laughs> well, I guess I'll deal with that when the time yeah. comes. Yeah, it's also the first Marvel thing we're doing since our big movie rankings podcast at Alan Austin. You were part of the panel that gave to me your rankings, and you had some interesting takes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt a little um, a little uh, shot at, but yeah. it's all right. I, I appreciate you and Alan going through all those movies. It was a great listen. I don't think I've got, I think the hardest take I've gotten out of this was, I think, Alan having a vet, the original Avengers at 15, I got a lot of people texting saying, wait, what? Like, you didn't see it when it was in theaters? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was, uh, oh, I love Avengers, too. I just, I don't know. You miss, you if you were on the train then, you were on the train then. If you jumped on later, that was a, it's a whole different thing, I feel like, you know? Yeah, defense of the great Alan Austin. Also, I will point out, like, the fact that, like, hey, credit to him for going back to watch it. And it is a lot different if you're going back and not in the moment of having scenes. If you saw, like, Infinity War first, for instance, mm-hmm. it went back to it. It's like, it's not a big deal. It's only six of them. But, like, when we were in that time, we had never seen that big a team up yet. They're like, it, the epicness that they delivered on it was amazing. Oh, it was so great. So, the thing we're talking about Avengers, we're talking about that era Avengers movie, Loki. 
where we are because in case people forgot and their mind is in the show, Loki was what we're here to talk about today. The scene from Endgame where they're doing the time heist and then they screw up getting the Tesseract back and 2012 Loki gets his hands on it and goes back in time. That's the Loki we're following, which I think was a fun choice because it was fun. I'm going to throw the spoiler warning up real quick for those of you who have not seen the premiere of Loki, which came out on a Wednesday on Disney Plus and they will stay on Wednesdays going forward. All right, you've been warned. Go watch Loki if you do not want to be spoiled. So I will say this <laughs> com- coming out of the front here. I mean, it was fun because Tom Hiddleston did an incredible lot of slipping right back into that version of the character, considering, like, he gets in, he lands in the desert, and he goes to see the people, he starts giving his speech about how he has a, a divine purpose. It was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually really surprised. Like, I bought it. So I was, like, really kind of, like, hesitant. I'm like... Oh man, like he's been, it's so far, you know, it's 2021. It's been almost, it's been nine years since the Avengers, the original one came out. So like, how is he going to like go back? You know what I mean? So I thought that was so funny. And then all oh, they're, they're like, who are you? Like yeah. the subtitles killed me. The subtitles were great. And I did love like this episode for that and him and it was great. But my one complaint, I feel like you have the same idea. I mean, it's like this episode, as fun as it was, was just a gigantic info dump for 50 minutes. Oh my God, so much. Like the beginning was great because it was kind of like hinting, like, where are we going? What is this? And then like, that was like, what, half of the episode and the last half was like, here's this information. Here's that. Like, we're going to tell you all about what this is. I don't want to give too much. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm sure you catch my drift and what I'm ranting about. Yeah, I mean, we start off, I mean, two minutes into it, he gets captured by the the, uh, time variance authorities and then he... Gets taken in. We spend the entire rest of the episode aside from one scene, like in that TVA office, which to me is like it was fun. I like seeing some of the people we, we got there. We got some great actors. Owen Wilson is fun, but like I feel we could have sped this along a little bit. Yeah. Um, though I knew the ending of the episode when we went back to what 1568 in France. Yeah. yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah, we went back. Yeah, that, the ending was like we went back in time again. I think it was like this is eighteen hundred or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I totally knew exactly what like Owen Wilson was going. Morbius, right? Is his yeah. name? I totally caught that. So I was kind of a little upset about that. I was like, very, I guess what was going on because yeah. it was like too close to that stained glass, you know? Yeah, it was a little close for that, and I do think we spent a lot of time on TV because I spent a lot of time in there and. I, what do you think about the orientation video? I thought that was very funny. That was great. I yeah. like how the entire TVA is kind of like 60s, 70s, like a- aesthetic. Yeah. Um, everything like even the brand new computers look like old school stuff, you know. Um, I just thought it was really interesting. Everybody dresses like business casual. Um, I love Casey. Yeah. The desk guy. He yeah. was great. He's dressed like he had, he had like a 70s, like what, stash, right? Yeah. He had the stash, he had the pocket protector. He... Mm-hmm. It was great. So I liked how they took like um, a very retro look onto everything. Meanwhile, they're the most advanced people, you know, ever. Yeah. Or if they're people, because he didn't know what a fish was. So. Yeah, that was also funny when he's like, what? Like, what's a fish? <laughs> and they kept going back to it. Because I went to Casey again. He's like, and they went and told me about it. He's like, got me like a fish. I had no <laughs> idea what that even is. <laughs> That was great. He's yeah. like, can you just explain to me what it was? I, I want to know how threatening it is. Yeah. Like, I want to know the level of this threat. Like, I thought that was cute. Like, it was more funny than I anticipated. I thought it was going to be more serious. 
I don't know why, because, you know, Owen Wilson yeah. is in it. I feel like Owen Wilson's a very funny dude. So I feel like lots of projects he does is yeah. in the comedy realm. Um, but this first episode was very, like, lighthearted, upbeat. Yeah. Even even this, like, the more serious parts were still kind of upbeat. Yeah, the vibe I got from it, in terms of, like, the tone of the, of the show, felt very Guardians 1, the sense where, like, Loki is Star-Lord, where he's trying to explain, like, he's going to people's, like, you never heard of, like, a dance-off? Like, stuff like that. I can just... Just imagine. Yeah, like, yeah, that's very that's very true. I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. That's uh, that's a very good observation. Yeah, I did like the the whole thing. But the one thing I felt was weird was like when he goes through, watch the video, and then it felt very. I got vibes of the DMV when it comes out. Oh, take the ticket and then like go to the window and like <laughs> I'm like I this one was I did not miss the pandemic with the DMV, so I did not want to revisit that. Yeah, though um, that like cinematography yeah. angle shot of him standing with all the lights behind him yeah. was so sick. I don't know why that's like the image that sticks with me the most through the whole episode. Yeah, by the way, how harsh is it that the other guy who went in there didn't grab a ticket just gets vaporized? He doesn't have a ticket. I guess they were just trying to like set up that these people are really yeah. freaking serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that guy was so annoying too. Like, yeah. I understand he was there for like a reason, but like he was so unnecessary. Yeah. He was there and just, it kind of was like that that light beat kind of like threw me a little yeah. bit where I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to like this show too much. So I was kind of like a little like, mm, pump the brakes a little bit, you know? Yeah, I will admit I laughed when I got vaporized. Oh, me too. Because yeah. I'm sure everybody who does work at the DMV who probably like is watching this as well. Yeah. It's probably like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah, and I love that the words like, Hilson's a good job acting there, like frantically like looking to make sure he still has his ticket. <laughs> I know, but like it's it's funny in one aspect, and the other aspect, I'm like, this isn't Loki. He wouldn't do this, and then, I don't mean like. Then I'm like, maybe I'm just too far away from 2012 Loki, yeah. you know? Because like he was funny. Because if you look yeah. back at the at the images they played, uh, him's like, I'll have that drink now, or yeah. you know, like things like that. Yeah. So I'm I'm just like a little like, eh, I'm not too sure how this is going right now. Yeah. Two other things I wanted to touch on here. One from the video was the reveal of this thing called the sacred timeline, which the phrasing was odd. It brought me back to Da Vinci Code when uh, Robert Langdon is talking about the sacred feminine. I'm like, okay, well, the timeline is not sacred. And I thought that was interesting. And the, the scene where Loki's being judged and he basically tries to pass the buck and say, hey, like, it's not my fault I'm here. The Avengers are why I'm here because they went back in time and they stole the thing when they weren't supposed to. And they're like, mm -hmm. I know it's interesting that they said, hey, the Avengers were supposed to go back in time. You were not, which I thought was just the writer saying, hey, don't question us on Endgame. It, make, it all makes sense. That's what I was saying to him. <laughs> like, wow, way to just like tie up that loose end. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, under, I understand why it had to be done. Part of me is like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna just talk about this at all. We're just gonna be like, you know, judge, gavel, boom, next yeah. case kind of yeah. deal. So I thought it was interesting. Well, I mean, technically, and they could head candidate and say, okay, well, Steve Rogers went back, returned everything, closed off all the loops, so there you go. But, like, I think That's it, true. it makes no sense. <laughs> I wonder if that negates the theory that um, Cap went back to save Natasha. I didn't even know that was a theory. Like, oh, I've, okay, well, maybe it's just, like, the theory that I've heard on TikTok slash social media that Cap goes back and saves um natasha and it's her in the end of endgame not peggy now i know there's lots of like ifs ands or buts for that theory but it's an interesting one to think about that maybe that wasn't maybe him and natasha at the very end of endgame but he could have saved natasha you know like yeah. so it could have it could leave that small little door open 
the thing I'm confused about with the TVA guys is like they seem to like, oh, you have to stop the the variants before they get to destroy the timeline by creating their whole multiverse is again, that multiverse word is like, but again, we see at the end of Endgame, like Steve Rogers spends his, his entire adult life with Peggy Carter. It's just like 30, 40 years before he comes back and as an old man gets a shield to Sam, like that doesn't make sense. I know it's, it's kind of weird unless he's like living both and like with his variant living in the same yeah. mainstream. I'm not too sure. I feel like maybe they'll explain it a little bit better as time goes by. Hopefully I don't think they will, but that's the pessimist in me. That gets like, I, I'm still a little scarred by time travel from lost season five. So this is not helping my cause. Like I, I just keep thinking Freaking back lost. They're the worst. I just keep thinking back to like all like the, they were skipping through time and then like they're, they're shooting each other out riggers and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this is, I don't want to go down this road in the MCU. No, I don't either. And yep. I, honestly, I probably, I still can't even like follow off season five to be honest with you. Yeah. Lost season five is own can of worms, but I think the next part of the episode is the more interesting part where, Mobius basically comes in and saves Loki from being reset, whatever the hell that means. We never really find out exactly what that is or why we painful or whatnot. But Mobius says, I have a job for you as we try and recruit Loki. And I think it was interesting how he basically says, like, why do you do what you do? Like, why do you like want to like hurt people and try and rule everything? Like, why? I think that was interesting because basically forced Loki to examine why do I want to do all these things? Yeah. And like at first I was like, they're just gonna loop this all up in like their first episode which you know they they did but at least they spent some time at least loki got to see his literal end game like what his ending was um i was i don't know i just like for who he was back then and all the convincing he needed from that avengers movie till his death like he needed all that like character development and where he like rose, he fell, he rose, he fell, he trusted Thor, he hated for then, you know, towards the end, like they came together. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just like feel like it's, it, you know, he is the God of mischief. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent certain that he's going to be a hundred percent like the golden boy, you know? Yeah. I did think it was an interesting call. Cause you figured that they were not going to ignore all the development that he has from Thor the Dark World to Endgame, and mm -hmm. I figured at some point he was going to figure it out, considering he's in a literal hole of time, but, like, I was a little disappointed they did in the premiere. Yeah, I, me I, too. I would have liked to see them sort of convince him to come on board another way, as opposed to him just sort of, like, just sort of, you know, skyrocketing through his future and skip fast-forwarding to see all the highlights and lowlights yeah. and whatnot. I think this would have been more fun down the road. I do like that there's one different thing I'll give them credit for is that Clone Wars Season 3 does his Anakin Skywalker a bit, but they retcon immediately because basically he has his, his memory wiped. I like they left Loki thinking about what happened. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad they brought up the mom because the mom has always been a soft spot. Even, yep. you know, in Avengers, pre-Avengers, it's been, it's been the mother that's been his, like, soft yep. spot, his voice of reason. Uh, so, like, that kind of changing his mind, that makes sense. Um, but I, I did enjoy that, like we said, we had the 70s, 60s aspect that his uh, file was a tape, uh, you know, like an old school tape yep. thing, which was really cool. But I don't know. I, I'm like, I'm happy about it. I feel like it was too rushed as well. So, yeah, I think for me, I think it would, I feel like we more Loki's spirit to like sort of couple the bargain for him. Like, hey, like uh, we have this is it for you. If you help me, I thought that would be more in character Loki and to have him see his entire future and be like, have this moment of wrecking. Like, you know what? Like I can be a change man. I'm going to help for the good of helping as opposed yeah. to like, what's in it for me. I think that'd be more in character for 2012 Loki. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I did enjoy that he saw that all the Infinity Stones live in this place. Yeah. Like, he can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. Like, no magic, no power, nothing is significant in this place. And I feel like that kind of, like, puts him in check a little yeah. bit. So, like, that helped a little bit. Like, there was a lot of pros in this episode, but there was also a lot of cons. So, I yeah. don't know. I just feel like there's a lot going on. The Infinity Stone thing was definitely funny, though, because we end up having that scene where we have the slapstick bit where he's trying to run away from the other time authority cop. And then. Oh, my uh, God. That was so funny. And he's trying to, like, he, he runs into Casey and tries to gut him. And then he sees Casey opens his supply drawer and there's, like, a bunch of Infinity Stones there. And he's like, You have Infinity Stones? He's like, Oh, that's what they're called? We just use those paperweights. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was so great. Yeah. I was like, Oh, my God. Yeah, just a good point. You showed Loki. He's like, Hey, like, whatever you value out here out there has no value to you in here. It's like, you're stuck on our rules. So it makes you wonder if they're going to start to pursue like the, like, Oh, does Loki think that he has something gained by trying to take over this world? I, I wonder if that's an angle that could pursue. Yeah. My idea, um, you know how you said like the whole like different variants and stuff when they get reset, I just think they just, 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 they, sorry for stuttering. Yeah. They just destroy the variant because yeah. i still think because you went to a different timeline you still have yourself going so you're kind of like a double in a way because you're in a different timeline so i'm thinking though going back to the resetting is that they, that's what they do when they like well i forgot the word they used um when they poke you with that stick thing yeah, yeah i forget to that's one they should have written down but i will also say yeah. with this i think the end reveal there that he wants loki to basically track down another time variant loki Cool twist, mm -hmm. but like I think it it was a little predictable in that sense. Once they showed you the stained glass in the middle of the episode, it looked like him. Like, mm -hmm. are we really just gonna do that? Like, I think if you had, it hadn't tipped your hand, it would have been more exciting. Yeah, and the blue teeth really did give away. So at first, it's like the Satan with the yeah. perfectly Loki, you know, like the crown. Yeah, and then the blue teeth, like the ice. Yeah, ice giants or whatever they're yep. called. I forget. Yep. So I'm just like, oh, it's like it's Loki. We're fighting Loki, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But then you know when they explained it and everything, but. So that's that's basically the thrust of the season. It's like it's that 2012 Loki and Mobius are going to try and track down 1850s Loki rather than destroying more timelines. That's the sort of the thrust of the show. Oh, I guess you're right. So like that's what I didn't pick up on. Yeah. I thought maybe it was like so he's a variant in 1850. Yeah. So this is the second Loki variant. So he's using him to track down the first Loki variant. Gotcha. I didn't even put two and two together. See, like, that's where you got me there. I'm just thinking this guy's just using the freaking Tesseract to jump over yeah. all times in space. Like, let's go here. Let's go there. But that's also that's my brain. Yeah, that's I, a, this is why I need to watch things twice. Yeah. That's also why Moby is having the conversation with the cop that brings in Loki. And she's like, this is a really bad idea you have because her mind's saying, you're just going to let a second Loki variant go on the loose and sort of just wreck more havoc and make our lives twice as hard. And he's like, no, no, I got this. This one's going to help us. Yeah. Um, did you, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed uh, when they were looking back to see what Loki did, His the god of being like, you know, mischief, yeah. is when he like puts a bomb on the plane and he's like, yeah, I lost a bet to Thor. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that was great. I thought it was like a nice little input to the brotherly love, you know? Yeah. Then now we found out he's D.B. Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was another funny bit. I did like that. Yeah, I liked that one too. I like, I like, I feel like I've talked so negatively about the show so far, so I like to put my little positive intakes on it as well. Yeah, the one thing I also want to say before we get grade this thing, can Marvel mm -hmm. just give us the stupid multiverse already? Because they've been yeah, teasing this now for way too long. This is something that started in Endgame. They gave us the tease again in Spider-Man: Far From Home. We got it in WandaVision. We're getting it here. We're getting teased about it in 
Doctor Strange is called the Multiverse of Madness. Spider-Man No Way Home is going to have a bunch of this stuff. Just give us the stupid thing already. I know, especially because now, like, I can't even theorize because they've put so many different components. Yeah. And I, I know we're only in episode one of Loki, so who knows what we're going to end up seeing. Yeah. From episode two to six, but... Oh my god, I'm just I'm getting it. I'm getting frustrated. It's June and it's summer and I should appreciate summer, but I'm wanting it to be wintertime. Yeah. So I get all this good uh this good content. Though to be fair, like this is something Spider-Man Far From Home was almost two years ago at this point. Yeah, that's so true. They've been teasing this out for so long. It's like at some point you're gonna lose people. Like just give you either give us the multiverse or just say it doesn't exist. Yeah, no, you're very true. I mean, they did spend a long time on that multiverse, you know, TVA advertisement or like commercial. Yeah, because like again, they start them teasing you, saying like, "Look, here's Going a multiverse." It's like, yeah. but oh no, if the multiverse happens, things are gonna go horribly wrong here. And I think we're gonna end up getting something where I think they end up this is gonna be one of the things that helps trigger the multiverse. I think this show. I'm hoping, yeah, it's gonna re in like reinvest viewers into getting in, like psyched and hyped up about it. Okay, let's give us a grade. If you were to grade this episode, like what would you give it? Uh, I want to say it's like a B. Yeah. Like um, you know, not an A. I want to give it a C because it's like the first one, and maybe I'm just being too harsh since I've yeah. only watched it one time through. But yeah. like a B, B minus. I'm right in that area. It's dro- It's not a full letter grade because it's too much info dumping. Yeah, it was like way too much going on. Because like they, they, you know, it's high content. They're trying to spend the whole episode explaining to you what things are, what elements are, to set you up for the rest of the show. Which I think you could have slow played some of them a little bit. Like we did not need, yeah. as I said, we don't need all of Loki seeing his entire future in this episode. We could have that done later on. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been fun to sort of, you know, parse out some of this stuff, not all of it right away. Yeah, that and on top of that, like we we Disney came out and said, hey, these TV shows are for like the kind of like a slow burn. Like we don't have to info dump this to you via movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's yeah. what they just said. They're like, so we don't have to give you all this information every movie that we bring out. That's where we're going to do these like series in between movies. Yeah. And they're still info dumping on us. Because to me, I think there's the now this is our third Marvel show that officially counts. I mean, they basically have not acknowledged that Agents of Shield and Netflix Universe exists anymore. So, yeah, I, they kind of X that out. I mean, they're still ex- it's still around if you want to believe in them, but they're never going to acknowledge them, as far as I can tell. The, yeah, me too. The problem I have here with these shows so far, all like these two and what I've seen at Loki so far, is that they made them out to be such a big deal. But the first two, at least, you don't need to watch them when the characters show up in the movies again. Because especially with Captain America and Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, basically, if you saw Endgame, you saw Sam get the shield. And Captain America 4 is going to have the shield. You're not, you're, you didn't need any of that middle story. This is sort of just like, we didn't, this story was not good enough for a movie. We're going to tr- just give it to you on TV. Yeah, which is kind of messed up because then you're kind of saying that certain certain characters' stories aren't as important. Like, I don't know. I'd go pay to see Sam, like, you know, have Sam be like Captain America, like the new yeah. Captain America. Like, I'd pay to go see that. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. But that just opens a whole can of worms of my criticisms for Marvel. But I don't know. I, I, I hope they're playing the long game with these television shows. And they'll take them more seriously as time goes on. The other thing I'm concerned about with them is not so much a lot of vision, but especially Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and now this one. I don't think they know how to write TV. I feel like they... That's very true. I feel like with Falcon, the Winter Soldier, it's like they had this vision for a movie and just chopped it up into six pieces and then put the six pieces out as episodes. Like, I think this could be something similar happening here, right? Where this is sort of your 
act one, we're getting all the information you need before you start the adventure. Mm-hmm. Because I'm worried that they, they don't know, understand the concept of writing a television show. No, it's very true. And then for WandaVision, the only reason I, why I feel like it did better than the other TV shows as of so far is that they based it off a of TV decades. Yes. So they, they, they had to do episodes because that's how they were like envisioning. So like maybe WandaVision did so well because of that reason. Yeah. But I totally agree with you. I, I don't think they know how to write for TV at all. I feel like they're still like, they're going to just find their footing. Cause like, mm. if you take it back, like I know that I ranked Iron Man high up there on my like thing, Iron Man, the movie. And then like, you know, later halfway through like the Marvel movies, like all the writing the directing everything is different because they're still trying to find their footing so i hope that this is just like early stages like the marvel movies yeah because i think the key for them is they gotta figure out how to like give you like information not all at once and have the pacing (laughs) be correct because like the issue here is like it's two completely different mediums and like like you say wandavision it works because hey we had you know, episode formats you could follow. Like, we're going to do an I Love Lupusy episode, or, like, we're going to do the, like, I, I Dream of Genie episode. Like, stuff like that makes sense. Whereas you're trying to turn Falcon Winter Soldier into, like, a serious drama, and then you have no idea how to pace the drama. It doesn't work. Yeah, and if you even think about it now that you mention it, the last episode, the finale, was it, excuse me, based off of any episode, and that kind of info dumped on us as well. Yeah. Yeah, certainly true. Uh, hopefully, we'll, they'll they got this going here because this is this feels more fun. Like I was more engaged in this. There were points of Falcon Winter Soldier. I was sort of like staring at my phone, like how much time was left in this yeah. episode. This yeah, one I was like I locked in the whole way through. Yeah, I mean Bucky Barnes is the only attention grabber for me. <laughs> Just yeah. kidding, I love Sam as well. Yeah. But um, I I don't know. I I kind of was like so like hyped up after one division for Winter Soldier, and then I was just like, all right okay and then you know now i'm like i'm excited but then i'm also hesitant as well for loki yeah well, i mean the two that have gone out the critics love them so we'll see if it still maintains that level through all six but i'll rest for another day but for now i also want to touch on one of the piece of pop culture news that's come out the last couple of weeks is that 90s kids the rugrats reboot is now out on paramount plus i have watched all five episodes that came out i know you have not so if you have questions i need the opportunity to ask them right here um okay so um rumor mill they have first and foremost phil and will's mom that she's like more she's like allowed to be out of the closet is that true she is fully out of the closet she talks in episodes about how she's had old girlfriends and howard's not in the picture i will say no, it, makes, howard. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense if you remember if you yes. watch the 90 show you look back you could say oh like she's clearly a lesbian oh yeah no every, that was like the running joke poor howard but um and then is the grandpa still alive? Yeah, grandpa Lou is now a hippie because if you think about it now, like the show is up to, moved up 20 years. Remember the original grandpa Lou is a World War II vet. Here he's now a flower child. So he's got the long, oh, okay. he's got like his long braid of hair in the back. Like he's talking, oh, no. he's talking about how he, how he's at Woodstock and stuff like that. So grandpa oh, Lou is full, is full on hippie. I mean, remember Grandpa playing, yeah. telling the kids how he used to play Russian roulette? Totally missed that as yeah. a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, um, is oh. there Spike? Is Spike still in it? Spike is in the show. It's yeah. my homeboy. I love Spike. And then, yeah. Um, also, one more note on Grand- the- One more note on Grandpa Lou. Also, to, to, to fit to show more of the era, it is Grandpa Lou's house that Dee Dee and Stu are living in. So. Oh really? Yes. 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, Grandpa Lou owns the house. So, like, <laughs> Stu's still an inventor. Dee Dee now, like, runs, like, an online craft store. She, like, runs Etsy, her own Etsy shop, basically. Really? Yeah. Is Dr. Lipschitz still in the picture? They have, there's not been a Dr. Lipschitz reference yet. They did okay, They okay. did an episode where they basically did a pun on, like, a pun on Marie Kondo. It was so funny. <laughs> and then um, all the babies, are they all the same, like, from, like, the, like where they left off, or are they doing like the OG ones? Basically, the timeline. It's like the, the four characters basically pre Dill's birth. That's what oh, okay. you have to know. So like, no Dill, no Kimmy, no Kira. You do have Susie's there from the start, but Susie they age down a little bit, so she fits, she's playing with the babies all the time. She's basically okay. Chuck, she's basically Chucky's age, not Angelica's age anymore. So it's basically those five and Angelica, the main kids you see. And Angelica's annoying as heck as ever. Yes. <laughs> just checking oh is does she still have cynthia yes it's still a cynthia oh my god that song still gets stuck in my head every once in a while yeah i will say the voice actors for the kids are mostly saying the adults some of them are different chaz's voice is weird is it really yeah tony hale does chaz now i love tony hale though yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm so conflicted <laughs> i don't like how he does chaz's voice hopefully they've changed that down the line uh yeah maybe they'll probably get some severe like criticisms from everyone yeah i do say though i think the thing that's bothering me the most is that like there's no like clear release strategy to the show they just drop five and then like on the first third i'm like okay cool i go back next thursday I'm like okay i'll find more episodes nothing's up there except for the first five and then they're like we'll tell we'll tell you when the next batch is dropping i'm like that's not how you're supposed to release a show no and i hope they don't wait like a year like a dumb move would be they would wait so long to release them i mean like the animation kind of looks intense Hey, they're still editing something. You, you get you get used to it. It looks a little weird when you first do it, especially because Tommy's head looks very weird, like in three D. I mean, like I remember seeing like the trailer for it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I could like watch this because it's just so different from what I'm used to. Which I know sounds bad, not trying, but I'll definitely try to take a look at it in the near future. Yeah, I will wait for more episodes to come out before you do that, though. I mean, my advice, right, yeah. because especially if you have to get the like the trial of Paramount Plus, wait till they have like a bigger chunk than five episodes to watch it. Oh, we can thank my brother for that one. I'm Mooch. I pay for YouTube TV. Yeah. And I give him my YouTube TV, and he gives me Hulu and Paramount Plus in return. So I've been watching like the Rocket Power. Like I've been trying to like get a little '90s nostalgia to work my way up to Rugrats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming. I think this can work. I think it's funny seeing them try and do, like, fit, like sort of fit the characters into the modern age. Like, there's one great bit in the first episode where, like, I think Stu and Drew put, like, Grandpa Lou on, like, their, on, like, Silver Beagles, which is basically, like, the, uh, basically their, their uh, grandpa version of, of Tinder. <laughs> That's great. I love how they modify. Like they modernized, I should say, this show. That's funny. And there's one bit in the episode where Angelica gets his phone and thinks it's a grandma, so she keeps she keeps swiping right on every woman that comes up on there. So it's so oh funny. My God. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah stuff like that is funny. They have like the premiere is a little long. They do like a double length of premiere. There's like 43 minutes the first episode. Then then it's the traditional like two two segments per episode after that. Okay, that's cool that they still kept that same format. Yeah, and there's a couple of shorts on there as well where they some of them are like classic scenes they just recreate in the 3D. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah, there's like five shorts. There's like four or five shorts on there. I think Chucky going on the slides is a short. Oh, okay. Like Tommy's ball was a short. Like, there's like stuff like that. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's the. I, I give that a recommend. I would say check that out. I would tell the people who don't have Paramount Plus to wait for more episodes before you get the trial. 
I mean, I'll probably still wait because if it's going to just be five, I could wait a little while longer. Even me, you know how I like to sound like basically, I got through all five in like two days. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll probably wait then. Yeah, because like they're, they're quick watches. Like I, they watch at the same pace I watch Cold War, which is basically like two a day. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Speaking of streaming, what else are you currently streaming right now? Um, right now, uh, funny enough, I've gone back in time to the early 2000s and watching a classic, Cold Case, on HBO Max. I don't know if anybody's seen Cold Case. It's like hella good. Yeah. It's some like really good stories. Yeah. And I like the decades thing. And they have great music on there too for each yeah. decade. Yeah, that's, that's my random one. That's yeah. like my, I just decided, hey, we're watching Cold Case. Yeah, that's a fun one. I'm still powering through the Clone Wars. I'm on season six next week. I think the Sky Guys themselves, Pete and Constantine and Nick Friday are going to be back. We're going to do season six. So we're getting through that. I also started Twin Peaks. I have tried, that's been on my list for a long time. So I'm getting into that. The season, well, the first season's pretty epic. So yeah, I did not remember at first that the, pilot is movie length so i forgot I'm like oh this is cool yes yeah oh it's so long yeah yeah because yeah, i didn't realize it was like that long but then it actually worked pretty well i did like it and it's pretty it's quirky enough that i'm engaged oh yeah definitely yeah. wait yeah. just wait you'll love it you'll love it yeah i mean i want i have this set up i have the the movie in the dvd queue now because i know it's impossible to find anywhere else so i'm gonna try and get the movie and then get, get to eventually the return on from showtime okay yeah so that's the plan with that stuff. But Sam, I thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow on social media? Give us some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, you can follow me on DeRosa at S-D-E-R-O-S-6 or whatever. I mean, honestly, Google Sam DeRosa. I'm here. Instagram, SDeRosa175. Facebook, Sam DeRosa. I'll pop up somewhere. I was, I think I'm still blonde in my, all my photos. So it's like me, but now I have brown hair. Okay. So <laughs> good to know, Sam. Thanks again. Thanks. <laughs> All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Chris, for not the Mad Dog Russo, for hopping on to talk about the Islanders in the NHL playoffs to get ready for their series with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I also want to thank Sandra Rosa for coming on the line to talk about the Loki premiere on Disney+. Plus. Fun show. I'm excited to see where it goes here. I know I sound like I complain quite a bit down it, but I have high hopes for this. I think it's got a chance to be really good. If you want to go to stuff like this podcast, including my look at what's going on with the New York Yankees and the big issues they have as an organization. I know they've had a good series in Minnesota, but... There's big long-term problems you have to figure out here. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. you find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. You can also subscribe to my YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. The video of these chats, the ones with Chris and Sam, are going to be up on the YouTube page. You can check them out there. So follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're going to get into the U.S. Open golf. Our golf guy, Dandy Martini, will be on the horn talk about that. About the Brooklyn Nets and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Bruins fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.